0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest is a returning guest on the podcast, a dear friend, um, Patrick Risk. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thank you, Richard. So good to meet you. Patrick was on episode 172. This will be episode close to 300, so that's a lot of episodes between times we talk, but it hasn't been that long of a time. and. I'm just um, friends with Patrick on Facebook. He is talking a lot about hope on Facebook, about his journeys in LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. Patrick is active in the church, works for the church. And it's just this message of hope and love on social media. And I just wanted to have him back on the podcast to kind of update our listeners on his life and the things that have occurred since our last podcast. Can you start by introducing what you do, your
1: church, what you do professionally for the church? Yeah, so I actually just recently, a couple months ago, accepted an, a new position at the church. So I'm actually now a management consultant, which is a new, a new kind of function and role at the church. Um, rather than bringing in kind of outside consultants from you know like um, McKinsey or Bain or that type of thing, they're creating kind of their own. Um, a lot of the people in that role are from those types of firms but really my role is just working with leadership to determine what the kind of strategic priorities are and then basically our our mantra which is from bishop Cossey, is find a better way um, and basically we're just trying to improve operations and do things more effectively so we can continue to grow and expand the church around the world and, and do it in a way that preserves the widow's might so
0: talk about bishop Cossey for a second i've I've grown to really love this Frenchman um, and his um, professional career as a businessman in Europe. Just talk a little bit about that theme he shared and the culture he's trying to create. And that we kind of think of the ecclesical part of the church that I'm certainly familiar with. But then there's this, you call it the
1: temporal side
0: of the church? the temporal affairs, yeah. And it's just all this needed work to make the church work worldwide. Yeah, talk about that.
1: Yeah, so... yeah the church is so fascinating in terms of we were doing on a project i was working with with the presiding bishop rick we were we did a lot of benchmarking with some external organizations just to learn best practices and it's just so hard almost impossible obviously to find any organization that's like the church um not only in terms of our mission and objective and purpose but just with so many, such a diverse portfolio of business operations, you know, from obviously we do clothing manufacturing, um, we do, you know, um, welfare distribution and managing farms, we do property acquisition and building with meeting houses, um, we do publishing and media. And so it's just, we have so many business Operations which support the you know ecclesiastical side of church and really the whole mission and objective of the Aaronic priesthood is, it's the preparatory priesthood preparing the way um, for the, the Melchizedek priesthood um, and that's very much how Bishop Cosay views his role is just making sure that areas in the world are prepared um, for receiving the higher ordinances of the church. Um, and so making sure that we can have, you know, the welfare self-reliance principles in place so that individuals can more fully participate in the blessings of the gospel and making sure that operations are efficient so that individuals have access to the temple and meeting houses and ordinances performed there. And so it really is that preparing the way. And again, in my role now of preparing the better way or, you know, finding that better way. And so. Yeah.
0: And go back to his little phrase again.
1: Finding a better way. Finding a better way. Is
0: yeah. that something that Bishop kosei has introduced, or is that something that predates him? I don't
1: know. I think there's always been an element, and from previous um, either prophets or um, uh, Bishop Ricks, there's always been this desire to, you know, improve things. President Monson was very in—his um, his mantra was very much about simplify um, reduce and simplify um and so but yeah Bishop Cosay has really taken up the mantra of, of finding a better way and um and and really searching for that and um I remember i I think it was a quote from like Thomas Jefferson or something like that but it was it was something like, like along the lines of that there's always a better way um and and your our objective is to find it um and so i think it's kind of exciting i've I love that. And
0: I've just on a personal note, I've I've crossed paths with Bishop Cosset a couple of times. We were at a wedding on the East Coast. It was a wedding that most of the people were not. LDS. I um, was invited to perform the civil wedding, civil marriage at the wedding. And and then I noticed just how relaxed Bishop Cosset was. in a circle with just lots of people who weren't members of our church. And him and, and Bishop Kose and his dear wife were soon on the dance floor and and they just were so comfortable there. Um they didn't compromise any of their values or standards, but it was not a typical Mormon wedding. It was an East Coast wedding and um and most of the people there were not Mormon. I just then I imagine where you see him where I see him sometimes performing a ceiling or in his church job. And I've just lo- grown to really love that he's comfortable in all these circles and is, and it just sees the best in humanity. And I look at his example and his talks and I see a lot of Christ-like um, example in his service. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I actually, um, I just, I, I, I'm surprised I'm just reading it, but um, I'm just reading, and I just finished it actually today, um, Tom Christopherson's book. Um, and he's got, in one of the sections on the, he's got quotes on the, you know, chapter headings, if you will. Um, and one of them is from Bishop Cosset. And I feel like it does such a good job of just summarizing who Bishop Cosset is as a person. And basically it's love. Um, he's just so good at loving people, um, and so good at, um, Using his experience, he's a very accomplished experienced, brilliant businessman. But everything he does, he does it for love, um, for love of God, for love of people. Um, and it's, uh, it's just so amazing to, to see and, and to be part of a work that is all about love. Um, you know, everything we do, every meeting we have, you know, starting with prayer, we're doing it because we're wanting to accomplish the work of the Lord and to bless and help His children. So. I love that. And I loved the lack of
0: pretense I felt around him um, in the few experiences I've had, particularly this wedding. The people that were LDS that knew who he was, they were just, he was so unassuming and he didn't draw any undue attention to himself and he was just glad to be you know, at the wedding. Um, and just one of, you know, the people celebrating this couple and enjoying time with his family and with everybody there. And I just loved his example and his lack of pretense and just his good heart. Yeah. Talk, tell sometimes, just give us, where do you want
1: to start, Patrick? I want you to give an update to our listeners on your life. Yeah. Well, this has actually been a great uh, conversation and kind of introduction if you will to kind of where i've been the last um you know year or so is just on a kind of journey of self-discovery um partly um of just really trying to understand myself and and what i what i want in life and part of that discovery has just been being more open with my experiences um whether that you know for a while I've been very open with you know my sexual abuse as a child because I felt like in anything that I'm open with I've consciously decided to do it because I feel like my sharing it will help others um because there's something about there's something magical about when we become vulnerable and share our life experiences um then it acts as an open invitation for others to then share theirs. And in this dialogue that happens between experiences, if you will, it opens up the door for individuals to realize that they're not alone. Um, They don't need to be alone. They don't need to suffer in silence because others go through things similar. Um, Not the exact same situation, and everybody experiences things differently. But in that open dialogue, you can kind of open up a pathway to compassion and to healing. And, and so that's really where I've been last year is just at being open with with my experiences, with, you know, um, my marriage ending, with my sexual abuse and the experiences there, with my anorexia, um, with being a gay latter-day saint, with all of these experiences um, that I have, I've just wanted to be open and share them with others because then it opens up that, like I said, that, that extends that invitation for others to then share with me. And it's been humbling and, and beautiful um, of the number of individuals that have reached out to me and have shared their stories with me. Um, and I hold them sacred because that's, that's a sacred part of somebody to share those experiences. But it not only helps, I think, them um, in verbalizing them and healing but it helps me, too, tremendously uh, just to hear their experiences and to learn how I can love people better no matter where they are on their path of, of life. Um, and, and I'm coming to find and realize, I think, more and more that that's really what I think life is about. Uh-huh. That's why we're here. It's to figure out how to love people better. Uh, um, that finding the better way finding a better way to love people. That's that's like our existence here. You know, obviously the two great commandments is to love God and to love others. And you can't really love God until you love the things he made. Um, and he made all of us. And so so they're kind of our one and the same, really. Um, and I just have really loved the opportunity I've had this last year to kind of do that um, and just love others. And, and I think... Um, one thing, though, is um, I think that we can do better, um, and I've been a little bit more open with that in terms of, especially as I've been more open with my, um, with being a gay Latter Day Saint is is just, and as I've been open with that, hearing other people's stories, is that we just we need to do better um, as a church, as a people, in creating that safe place um, for all to come and worship. Um, and, you know, you know, when Christ gave his new commandment to love one another, he didn't, um, you know, preface it with, uh, you know, but or accepting these certain circumstances. It was just simply love one another. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, like I said, that's the real reason we're on this earth. Um, and we just need to do better at inviting those that don't fit the mold of what we think a standard disciple looks like, um, of, you know, having a family and children, whether somebody's divorced or in a same-sex relationship or they are still single or they have tattoos or they smell like cigarette smoke, those are the people that should be found in our congregations. They're the people that make our church more beautiful and more amazing and we need them in our church. Um, and, and it just breaks my heart when I hear the stories of individuals that don't feel welcome where they've been pushed away um, and they feel like they don't have a place. Um, and we just need to do a lot better, I think, of, of extending that warm invitation and just loving people without any judgment um, because we don't know their path, and that's not our place to judge. It's just to, to love. Um, and that's hope that we can do better at. Um,
0: you're pretty honest about four things that most people would not talk about. Um, I hope our listeners heard them. You've uh, been a victim and maybe now a survivor, whatever vocabulary you use, of sexual abuse. Um, you've had a marriage that didn't work to a woman. You um, are gay and you have um, anorexia. And those are like four things that most people would never publicly share. Um, and you kind of talked about why you're doing it. Just go back and explain that more. Because I think I might have advised you if I was your wife, say Bishop, 10 years ago, Patrick, you can talk to me about this, but don't talk to anybody else about it. Just kind of keep that private. Um, I don't know what my rationale would be, but that's kind of the narrative I kind of heard about These sort of things is, you know, let's that's okay, but let's not talk about it. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: help us understand why you feel impressed to talk about it. Yeah,
1: Um, like I said, I and it's it's so funny um, because because my my parents are similar. um, uh, They're they're very reserved people, and also they they're also protective of, of me as their son as well, but. They um, are like, why in the world do these post these things on Facebook and just start so open? Like you just open yourself up to, to criticism or to being hurt or to, you know, <clears throat> affecting your job or whatever the case may be. Um, but like I said, the thing that compels me is definitely not not any comments of, you know, that I'll get of, oh, you're so amazing, Patrick, or the likes I'll get, or anything like that. It's not recognition at all. I actually usually feel a little uncomfortable with recognition. It's more so simply the reason I feel compelled to share is because, especially, especially, it's been about, it's been about a year, year and a half ago now, um, this whole journey I've been on. One night, I just felt so. I don't know, I just felt an overwhelming feeling that there were so many people out there that were hurting and they were hurting in silence and they just felt alone and I could identify with them because I've, I've been in that place um, and so I wanted to do something about it and so then the idea came to me that maybe I can create a Facebook group and in this Facebook group, the whole idea would be to all share my stories and others can share their stories. And it will just be a safe place to share and to receive support and love. And so I did it. I created the Facebook group. It's called um, Brightness of Hope. Um, and it's it's not a huge group. It's grown quite a bit over the last you know, year. It's got like 7,000 people now. And and I've just, it's been a wonderful experience, like I said, of just sharing and being open with my experiences has really served at its purpose, which is what I wanted it to do, is create a safe place where others can say, wow, this guy is sharing some pretty vulnerable things. I can feel a little bit, now that I'm seeing how vulnerable he's been, I can be a little bit vulnerable as well, I'll share a little bit. I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and shout their deep dark secrets out on the rooftops of Facebook, if you will, but there is something incredibly powerful about sharing and creating community in that sharing, and it just creates this, I don't know, just creates this openness that that we're not alone, and that we are really in this together, Um, and that we can support one another. We can love one another. We can understand where others are coming from rather than jumping to conclusions. And, and it just is creating such a more healthy dialogue and place of love and understanding. And that's really what I wanted to do with the sharing of my experiences. Love that. Why did you pick the name Brightness of Hope? Yeah, I went through a bunch of different names and I landed on that one. Because hope is really, like, my favorite, if you can have a favorite. It's my favorite principle um, of the gospel or just of life. I just, I'm a—I'm a fairly positive person. I mean, I've had my moments of wanting to, you know, throw in the towel and, and give up. And knowing that I'm, you know, trapped in a dark cave and there's no way out. I've definitely had my moments like that. But hope is just it's like food for the soul. It is just, it keeps you going when everything else is saying you should give up or there's no way forward. Hope is, you know, that, that sunrise that says today's a new day. You can, you can try again. Um, You are not broken. You are not beyond hope or, um, and and I just, I just love hope. Um, and I also love hope matched with, again, the symbolism of light, um, so that brightness, because that really is what hope is to me. You know, like I said, when you're sitting in that darkness, um, hope is that, that sunrise that says, hey, here's a new day. Try again. Talk about um,
0: how often do people message you privately because they know you're a sick person?
1: Yeah, it depends on, um, what I've shared. Obviously, usually when I share the more vulnerable things, I'll get a lot of messages at at that time. Um, but if I was to like average it all out, I'd probably say I get one to two, um, Facebook messages from a stranger a day. Um, and it's just somebody either expressing appreciation for, um, something I've shared, or um, some people sharing their stories, um, and saying, um, you know, I'm going through this, Um, and often, sometimes they're looking for, you know, advice, or whatever the case may be, and I always feel the most uncomfortable in those instances, because I'm not an expert, or or a trained psychologist, or anything like that, Um, but I can love people, Um, and um, and but most of the time they're just looking for someone to listen um and to feel validated um again that's why I share um is because because there's just people out there that feel like they're all alone um and so then they, they'll message me and say wow i feel like i'm not alone anymore or, um Here's my story, um, and so then I can I can validate them and say I'm so sorry you're you're going through this, but um, just sharing that they're they're loved and they matter and they're worth it, and but, you know one day at a time it's all gonna it's gonna be okay, um, and just to to be there and just to talk and have that dialogue and so, so that's really. The majority of my messages I get is just, like I said, of people sharing or expressing appreciation that, um, that you know, they, my message helped them feel like they weren't alone.
0: I've certainly learned a lot from you and others about the word vulnerability and, and we heal each other often in our own vulnerabilities. I used to, I think church culture, we project this perfectionism. We've got everything figured out. Our lives are in order. Our families in order. And and that may be true, but I recognize that it's less likely that I'll be a safe person for people that need someone that can open up to even my own children. And I've learned that if I can be honest and just use the doctrine of Christ to say kind things about all kinds of people, then people kind of get a feeling well, it's probably something I can open up to. I, I've shared this before on the podcast. When I started to say kind things about LGBTQ people, as a YSA bishop in the last year, no more LGBTQ came out, Patrick, but a, a bunch of straight, you know, kids in the ward. Now these kids for the YSA age, but that's okay. They just said, I, I can talk to this guy. if He's going to be kind to LGBTQ, which we should be and I can talk to him maybe for the first time. I can can just sense this guy's safe. And so I recognize that if I have a narrative over the pulpit about just being, you know, always talking about other groups of people in a negative way, it sends a message about, and that may be appropriate at times. I mean, I don't want to create, I mean, ISIS is a really bad group. Um, They want to bomb my home. I talk about them sometimes, but just to globally talk about LGBTQ people as an outside threat to the church there are some that are but there are some like you that are faithful members um, committing their lives to help the church be better both with your personal service and your career. you're part of our you're part of our family Patrick and if I just talk about people like you in a negative way it makes it hard for you to stay in the church and makes it me an unsafe person for you to open up to. So I'm going to read a quote. I can't remember if I read this on your prior podcast, 172, but this is a Catholic priest. Over the years, I've become increasingly aware that true healing mostly takes place through the sharing of weaknesses. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the four things you mentioned weaknesses. They're just part of your story. We mostly, are, we, mostly we are afraid of our weakness and hide them at all costs and make them unavailable to others but often to ourselves, and in this way, we end up living double lives against our own desires. One life in which we present ourselves to the world, to ourselves, and to God as the person who is in control, and another life in which we feel insecure, doubtful, confused, and anxious, and out of control. The split between these two lives can cause a lot of suffering. I've become increasingly aware of the importance of overcoming the chasm between these two lives— it is amazing in my own life that true friendship and community comes possible to the degree that I am able to share my weaknesses, I would call them vulnerabilities, with others. So I often become aware of the fact that in sharing my weaknesses with others, the real depth of my human brokenness and weakness and simpleness start to reveal themselves to me, not as a source of despair, but a source of hope. As long as I try to convince myself or others of my independence, a lot of my energy is invested in building up my own false self. But once I may really truly confess my f- profound dependence on God and others, I can come in touch with my true self and develop,
1: and real community can develop. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that. I think I think you've said it well in terms of... Um, The best congregations I've been a part of are those that are led by somebody, and not to criticize uh, anybody, but but those that are vulnerable, um, that show that they are not perfect because nobody is. um, Because it really does create that welcoming and loving environment where all can feel um, welcomed um, and to share equally um, and just be broken people together. You know, it's not a not a church for the perfect, it's a church for the sinners. Um, And that's really what it should all be about. Um, Those people that are least perfect, if you will, um, with heavy quotation marks there, um, are the ones that need to be in the church the most. Um, Where where was Christ found? He wasn't found in the temple. Um, He was found amongst those who... Are quote unquote sinners, um, and he was talking with them. He was eating dinner with them. He was in their homes, and that's that's because I think that's where the most healing takes place, and I think that's also where we learn the most about others. Um, and um, and so, like I said, I think it's just a matter of this po- persona that we sometimes see in the church of being cookie cutter discipleship. Um, you know, you need to get married and, and you need to be in the temple and you need to be, all those things are beautiful and wonderful and great. Um, and that can be the ultimate objective of the gospel. You know, is extremely important in our, in our gospel. But what about those that don't fit that? And there is a lot of people That don't fit that, whether single, gay, divorced, whatever the case may be, there is a whole lot of people that aren't going to fit that cookie cutter mold. And so if our only lessons, if our only talks, if everything we do in the church is only speaking to those that are perfectly put together in the perfect cookie cutter family, then of course it's going to make those that don't fit that feel like this isn't a place for me then because I don't fit that. And so, again, I'm not saying that we need to change doctrines or anything like that, but we do need to be conscious in our effort to make those that don't fit the mold feel more welcome because they're the people that we need the most um, in our congregations. um, And we're losing a whole bunch of them because they don't feel like they belong. Do
0: you think
1: if for local leaders, they have
0: an even a more of a responsibility to those on the margins first, and it's sort of this idea of theology for the margins is my responsibility. Is you don't want to discount anybody, but I almost need to go first to those that have the hardest road and make sure they belong because they're the most vulnerable. They're sort of the flowers on the edge or the sheep that are the most vulnerable to being attacked, and my and I don't want to ignore my. The people that don't have these sort of um, blocks in their path to to fully fit the
1: mold. any thoughts on that? I completely I don't even think i I don't think that's just a message for the leaders. I think that's a message for all of us um, of you know Christ is Christ is the perfect example and leaving the ninety nine and going after the one um, and so I think all of us, especially those who might Again, I don't want to say that one person, because even those that have the perfect, by all appearances, perfect family and they're married in the temple and have their family and all that type of thing, they have struggles galore as well themselves. So so I don't want to discount that. But I do think that those that maybe have it a little bit, again, this is saying it, Wrong, But those that have it a little bit more easier, if you will, as it relates to just appearances, I guess, or feeling like they fit in to what, you know, the standard gospel is. I think those people have more of a responsibility to reach out to those that don't fit in because they need need a family. They need a place to belong. And we're all brothers and sisters. And so those that don't have the family or the cookie cutter, you know, discipleship, make sure that they feel part of your family. They feel part of your congregation, that they always have a place at your table because that's that's what decide, That's what Christ would do. That's what he did. Um, and so I think that's exactly what we should be doing. And and frankly, I don't feel like we are doing the greatest job at it. And that's why we're losing something. And it just breaks my heart. But again, as I've been more open to have so many people reach out to me and just open up and tell me that they never felt like they belonged and that's why they left the church or that's why, whatever the case may be. And it just breaks my heart because nobody should feel like they don't belong in God's church. For For the Savior and the babe who came to this earth finding no room in the inn, we should definitely be the ones that always have room for everybody in our inn in our church because that's then how can we say we're christ if we're not doing that i
0: love that can we be too loving in the congregation can we be too accepting and is that if we are are we selling out or are we crossing a line of acceptance where we're not standing up for truth or standing up for the commandments or any
1: thoughts just to help people navigate that yeah, I've actually had a, a number of people reject me on that of you know, and it's interesting because if you if I look back on my journey, I remember back in um, two I'm I'm i and I still do um, I love politics <laughs> even though they can be very divisive, um, and especially nowadays. But I I love politics, and back in 2008, I was very into politics, just like I am now. And that was Proposition 8. Um, I, I was very vocal with Proposition 8. Not very vocal in support of Proposition 8. And that was very hurtful um, to a lot of people now that I identify with the LGBTQ community. Um, same thing with the 2015 policy with the church. Um, that, gratefully, has been reversed. Um, and so I know well... Walking that path of wanting to stand for principle and truth and feeling like well you can't you can't um, love or accept because then you're condoning um, a sinful lifestyle or whatever the case may be but I have found that the less I've focused on for lack of a better word those minute details of of laws and and rules and and sin and that type of thing, and I focus more on a message of love and acceptance, not only has my life gotten way better, but the people I'm able to reach and talk with and get to know has expanded tenfold. Because when is the last time anybody has ever won an argument about politics or something on Facebook? everybody's going to dig in their heels and and stick to what they think. But if you approach an argument, if you will, with love, all of a sudden everybody's listening. You have somebody, you're connecting. And so I think that we as a church would, if our objective, which shouldn't be our objective necessarily, but if our objective is to convert people um, and to, um, bring people into the fold in the Church of God, I guarantee we're going to get a lot more if we're loving everybody than if we're preaching to them.
0: You're early 30s, and I'm nearly 60, and I haven't figured out some of those things that you've figured out, and many of your age group is figuring out much earlier. And I think you're more wired into the teachings of Christ and uh, his core message, and I don't think you're making up new doctrine, Patrick, to share what you just shared. And I sometimes come up with phrases in my mind. I The other day I tweeted this out, keeping my covenant, part of keeping my covenants doesn't require me to assess if you are keeping your covenants. And so it's sort of like I shouldn't be anybody else's judge. In a way, that's kind of freeing because then I can just love people. I don't have to decide about everybody else's standing with God, as I look at what Christ did and the things he taught, um, to me, he just taught what you're saying is to love. And I realize that sometimes I've created a false dichotomy in my mind where I thought to fully love and honor God, I have to stop loving some of his children, that there's a trade-off there, and I just don't think that's true. And I, I think the congregation, unless someone's an activist yelling at the speaker or protesting during sacrament, everybody ought to feel welcome in our congregation. I think Elder Uchtdorf's talk about there should be no sign at the door that says your testimony needs to be this time to enter is a, is a message that everybody should be welcome, regardless of belief or behavior. And we have, to me, the gate is really open and wide at the congregation level. It narrows at the temple where there's a belief in behavior hurdle, but we shouldn't sort of bring those temple recommend questions backwards and, and make it sort of the standard to be able to feel welcome in a congregation or even our home and our friendship circles. And so I just thought that's kind of the way I process that. Um, and, and it's just, in a way, it's just relieving. And I I really think love, there's a famous quote from Elder Packer that sort of says the study uh, it sort of talks about learning doctrine will change behavior more than the study of behavior will change behavior. And I agree with that quote. I've wondered in my life, and I don't want to one-up Elder Packer, that's not my job, if the implementation, the implementation of love towards others can actually change people's behavior even more than that in some situations. And and I call it non-agenda love, that I'm just loving people because they deserve to be loved is as children of heavenly parents, my cold spiritual brother and sister, that just going down that road actually can impact people for good more than anything, maybe not universally, but in many cases.
1: Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it actually, um, again, I'm not speaking for for President Packer, but I think it completely supports his quote because what is our doctrine? Our doctrine is love.
0: That's a good point.
1: That's really all it is. I mean, if you... Narrow it down to one basic principle. That's it. Love. Love God. Love others. And you can't do one or the other. They're, they're one and the same. And so I just, um, I think that's just really what we, that's, our world is like so in need of that right now. On all types of levels. From, from politics, from you're seeing the division with, with racial divide. Just all, everywhere you're, you're seeing it in our world, there's, there's this gaping hole that only love can fill. Um, and I feel like, again, not throwing anybody under the bus or anything, and there we are doing a wonderful job in so many ways, but I feel like we can be doing so much more as the church um, and as members of the church to fill that hole, to love where others aren't loving because that's where people are looking for something. They're looking for light. They're looking for hope, um, and we can we can give that to them. We can give them love, unconditional love, um, and that's that's what's going to change the world. That's gonna that's going to be what welcomes back the savior, is when we can start loving everybody the way that he does. Um, that's really insightful what you said about. Um,
0: I hope you realize how insightful that was. Well what you said about other Packer our doctrine is love. Um, I really agree with that. Um, and um, I think that's incredibly insightful. And it's back to this idea, we don't have to make up something that doesn't exist to sort of do what many of our hearts want to do anyway. Um, and sometimes we've created these lines in the sand where we don't want to get too close to people that might not be living the teachings or, and I just, I, it's kind of relieving to recognize that we don't compromise anything by just being kind to everybody. Talk about, um, we have this beautiful proclamation called the family of proclamation of the world. And to be honest, listeners, I had to Google it because I always get confused on, we have so many kind of other names for it. <laughs> But that is the official name, The Family, A Proclamation of the World in 1995. Counsel me if I'm a local leader um, and I wanna teach that to my ward and remind people of the beautiful teachings, but I'm also sensitive to there's a lot of people that that doesn't work for them sense there's no real path for them to make that work in their lives. And, and I'm even aware that can be triggering for some faithful Latter-day Saints to kind of be reminded that doesn't work for them or if they're LGBTQ, that sometimes feel like that's even, there's kind of an indirect indirect message sometimes that people like them are a threat to that. Do you have any counsel for people that want to teach that, but also want to not, and want to
1: do it in a real sensitive way? Yeah, I think that's a great question and something that really needs to be pondered very hard in you know, every ward council across the church um, is how can we make sure that we're speaking a message that is inviting to all people. And whether that means that maybe, again, then you're feeling like you're leaving the out or you're creating, but I don't know, maybe we create a separate, if you're speaking on that one Sunday, maybe you can have a, a separate uh, class for those that feel like they're on a different journey or path or, you know, I, I, in terms of you're speaking of like terms, sometimes I like to come up with little, little phrases and that type of thing, but it was basically, we, I remember the other day I was thinking, what is the non-traditional path of discipleship? We need to be able to create a model for a non-traditional path of discipleship. We have a traditional path, obviously, you know, the family proclamation world. Um, And the temple. And we've built a lot of programs and things in the church for the traditional path of discipleship. What is the non-traditional path of discipleship? I don't think we've built enough um, programs and enough teachings and lessons and things for that. Um, And that's why we're obviously losing so many of those people because they listen to the lessons and they see our, you know, family home evening, or all these types of things, and I think, well, not church really for the Um And so we need to be able to create a place for them that fits their path, um, whatever that looks like. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that we're changing doctrines or anything like that. It just means that we're, we're actually living doctrine, which is, again, our doctrine is to love. Um, and so if we are going to love God's children, and we need to love them where they're at um, instead of loving them where we think they need to be. Um, And so, um, you know, meet them where they're at. um, And too often we don't meet them where they're at. That's a very interesting thought.
0: I mean, when I first stepped in the space, somebody said to me as a celibate gay Latter-day Saint, you know, I I don't really have an owner's manual for how to do this. I'm asked to be celibate. And live love of chastity, um, and it's hard to do that and and be alone. But I don't really have a path on how to do that. I don't have a lot of mentors. I don't really have what you just said, and it was enlightening to me. And I thought, you know, I you know when I certainly growing up um, in my twenties as I was dating, I I had a path. Um, everything lined up for me, for my family, for my wife. And I recognized that I had people going ahead of me. There was so much content in our classes that supported my path. And I. And you're right, it wouldn't change our doctrine, just have more of
1: how to do this, as a gay latter is saying, if you want to stay in the church. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what we need. You know? And it's not even, again, whether... Uh, lgbtq member or um, somebody that you know got divorced or it's it's so fascinating to see some of the biggest voices and this goes back to your point in terms of being more vulnerable um and especially having leaders that can um express that so it invites their congregation to feel like they're um can be open and welcome um because if you look at the talks or the voices that often make the biggest splash in the community, in our, in our Latter-day Saint community, it's, you know, the owl, the, what's, I forgot the name of the owl. Okay. Yes, uh, you know, the Tattooed Mormon. Way to um, go, on. I'll shout I out love, to you. I love, we, love, we all love yes, Al so Yeah, the Tattooed Mormon, or you have Tom Christofferson, or you have Elder Holland, who gave that amazing talk, um, talking about that, he suffered with depression. Broken that's what Yes, um, and everybody—that's everybody's favorite talk. Whenever, and, and and so, whenever somebody becomes vulnerable, that's when somebody says, "Oh my gosh, there's my role model. There's somebody I can say they truly know. They 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 walked a little bit of my path. And Christ is obviously our, our best mentor in that. He knows all of us perfectly and has experienced everything we we've experienced, but. We just definitely need to do a better job of breaking down this facade of a perfect Latter-day Saint and the perfect path of discipleship and create more programs and means and lessons and things that speak to those that don't follow that perfect cookie-cutter rule. Um, and so we have this first strength of youth. Can there be a for strength of youth, letter or a for strength of gay youth, or well, I don't uh, know? But why can't there why be? There? Yeah, yeah. Why can't there be more things speaking to those um, and welcoming them again where they're at, rather than trying to make them be something that they're just not? And that's okay. We don't need them to be that. We need them to be them. That's what we need.
0: You're identifying in this podcast as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, talk about that. Um, I think our listeners know you can identify as gay, and that just refers to your orientation and be fully worthy, welcome, temple, recommending, a holding, working for the church. But that's kind of a new thing, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, five years ago. Talk about why just labels, your feeling about labels.
1: Yeah, For me, labels have always been a hard thing because I feel like labels never do a a good job of explaining the person. Um, You know, because labels come with lots of preconceived notions. Because, you know, when some people think about gay, they think about somebody that's, you know, um, has a same sex partner or whatever the case may be, um, rather than just orientation. So they might say, well, then use same sex attraction. Or, you know, or could I consider because maybe I still am open to saying I could marry a woman. So does that make me bisexual? I don't know. But And so labels are hard for me because they never feel like they truly um, describe the full story. Um, but it, how I use labels is a way to um, identify with a community. Um, in terms of saying I want to be a part of this community. Now, I'm not saying obviously a straight person that wants to like support the gay community needs to say, well, now I'm gay too, then. Um, but um, but for me, it's just a way of saying um I experienced that too. Um and so I want to I want to take on that label because I want to be with you, I want to stand with you, and I do feel that, and I experience that too. So I'm attracted to guys, so whether I'm bisexual, gay, same-sex attraction, I'll use the label that feels like it most makes the person I'm with comfortable and saying that, hey, I I know what you're going through because I feel the same.
0: Well, how if I said to you now, Patrick, it seems like you taking on the label gay makes it one step closer that you're going to leave the church and end up in a same-sex relationship? Just talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think a label doesn't. Again, a label doesn't, in some ways, mean anything because it's just a label. It's what is under the label that matters. Um, so, for anybody wondering where I'll be in a year from now, um, stand in line. I don't know because <laughs> I don't know where I'll be. But but I do know what's in my heart, um, and what's in my heart is that. Um, is that I know the church is true um, because I've experienced far too much in my life um, to ever deny that. And so, what does that mean for me as a gay Latter-day Saint? Um, well, it kind of, and we've kind of spoken to this. It's a it's a horrible place to be in in some ways um, because you're completely trapped. You're trapped in the middle um, of two different worlds. Um, and neither world you really fit in Um, because the gay community, um, if I can call it that, um, um, will say, well, you just need to leave the church and you need to love your true self and you need to find a man to fall in love with, and the church is just making you deny all that and it's making you unhappy. Uh, And the church will say, well, you just need to you know, deny attract just realize it's an attraction but um, but you can still get married or you could stay celibate or that type of thing and and stay in the church and just remain faithful and this life is just a small moment and so it's it's all right it will all work out and neither it sounds good uh-huh. uh, and neither really is a solution necessarily there's no like we've been talking about there's no middle there's no path for the middle and i feel like christ often walked in the middle at least that's where he did his best ministry, um, is when he walked in the middle with somebody, um, and and so I I just I definitely can identify with those that feel trapped and like they have no good option, um, and I wish I had a solution for you, but I don't, and that's where I think it comes down to. And President Nelson has been so clear in this in terms of personal revelation and your personal relationship with God and with Christ, because it really is your path and nobody can, nobody can chart it for you. Um, you have to, you have to figure out what's right for you. And me, as a Latter-day Saint, and just as a person, I can't judge you whatever path you chose. Um, I can't say, oh, you, you know, you chose the wrong one because I don't, I have no idea. I don't know your life story. I don't know where you've been. I don't know any of that. I just know that you obviously felt like that path was right for you and I can love you and support you in it um, and make a place for you um, and just always be there for you. Um, And I think that's just what we have to do more of than, than trying to say, well, now that you're starting to use that title or you're starting to do this then you're, you're probably going down the path of apostasy. So it's only a, a year from now, and you're probably going to be one of those people. Well, I, I, well, yeah, I don't know. It's very helpful. Since you
0: know this road so well, help us, give us a counsel when somebody does step away. So let's say we have a gay Latter-day Saint in our lives that's living church teachings, and then at some point um, decides to marry a man. I and mean, I've always felt like it makes sense to ask people like you this question versus a straight person because you know this road.
1: How should we respond to somebody like that? That's a good question. And just to show, again, that I understand both sides, because um, I remember, um, hopefully this isn't like outing anybody, but uh, um, but I remember when um, my cousin, um, my cousin got married to his same sex partner. And I really at that time I was, you know, more on the side of, oh, anything that, you know, looks like love and support means that I'm condoning. Um and so I I don't know if I could do that in terms of they invited us to their wedding. Um and I was like, I don't I don't know. Um, I really struggled. Um, but I went um and it was it was fine and it was great. Um And so I understand um, in terms of the struggle. But I just really think, again, going back to that, you know, whatever the question, whatever love is the answer. Um, And I just feel like if we just love people and not try to judge where they're at or what their path looks like. And I'm not saying that means we go love and condone, you know, all types of behaviors or that type of thing but it just does it means that we just love people for who they are um then that just like you said it frees you um from having to be a judge for anybody which is too weighty of a thing for any of us to hold in my mind i don't i don't want to be anybody's judge um but it also just Allows you to just connect with people on, uh, in an incredibly beautiful way, um, and to say, "Hey, I honor your path, whatever that path is, and I can love you on it, um, and it it's not affecting my path." You know, obviously, when it starts affecting yours, like I think a lot of people with same-sex marriage when it was not legalized in the United States for the longest time. And then obviously, again, with the church of propositioning, I think the biggest concern was people were thinking, oh, if this happens, now it's going to start infringing upon our religious rights because they're going to start saying, you know, oh, we need to do this or that type of thing. And I think the beautiful thing we've seen is it hasn't really. Um, And so that's completely changed things. And so we make up stories in our mind that by supporting or doing something for somebody or loving somebody, it's going to now affect us. But as long as it doesn't, then what harm is it just to love them? You uh, know, loving somebody for the path and honoring the path they're on. If it's not affecting me in terms of taking away from my rights or my happiness to follow my path, then why are you so con- like why why are you concerned with that? I feel like I just you know, just love. Them. I like that, and I think sometimes to to
0: accomplish my objectives as a parent or a local leader, I create a fear narrative that may not always be based on fact. And it may accomplish my goal of getting the behavior and the conformity I'm looking for, but I I worry if that does a disservice long term, um, there's enough fear in the world that if I'm adding to that with sort of a fear narrative, That it adds to people's load, and I recognize that's going on in politics in both parties, I think, at times. And I think if we can just have a fact-based discussion, we can still have differences. Both political parties, I think, are... There's a space for any Latter-day Saint in either political party based on the facts that they believe in the political platform that's important to them. But it's when we resort to fear to accomplish our goal... Um, and I think a perfect love casts about fear. And I, and Elder Uchtdorf gave a talk, um, sorry, I can't reference it right now, just talking about manipulative fear. And it really resonated with me that I have done that at times. And I don't think it's the highest law that I can live um, on earth. And I think it adds, sometimes I wonder why your age group has so much anxiety mm-hmm. and stress, and I wonder if it's because our generation has created such a fear narrative that it logically leads to anxiety and stress. And so the things you're telling to me, you can decrease that in our society without compromising anything, but we're just learning to be at peace with differences. And, you know, my friends in same sex marriage, I've never felt any, in fact, one guy, when I went out to dinner, when I first emptied a space, my friend Doug, he says, if there's ever anything that's going to infringe upon your right and your straight marriage and, that there's a movement that the church has to perform same-sex marriages in your temples, which his point is there's no legal foundation that's possible for that. And if there ever were, I will march with you to protect your right as a religion to do the religion the way you want to. I just sort of want permission to live my way life the way I want to. It was interesting for me because it challenged my assumptions that if we give this much, and so I just I have to be careful about. And I recognize in Prop 8, I think there was some fear messages there that were difficult for faithful Latter-day Saints that didn't resonate with them. And we may have
1: lost some people in the Prop 8. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking to... I've talked with a lot of people about the Prop 8 and then obviously the 2015 policy change. There definitely was a lot of hurt and misunderstanding in those. And I don't think either side had bad intentions Um, and that's just where again um, you know communication breakdown and just being able to really understand people's pure intentions and what they're what they're really trying to accomplish and I think another key thing as well in terms of among and whether I don't know where this all comes from and I'm definitely a victim of it Um, um, and often I'm my biggest perpetrator of it um, to myself, but um, is the shame? Shame is just a huge, a huge problem in our society all across the board. Whether that's shame for loving the person that you love and feeling the feeling you feel, or looking the way you look, or whatever the case may be, every single thing I think that um, in terms of bad is usually like an extension of fear and shame. Um, and, um, and so what should be the opposite of shame? It should be the, you know, the love, um, and just the acceptance. And we really need to do better at that to eradicate this kind of plague of shame that's kind of settled upon our society because there's just, that's why, you know, you know, I think it's like every 30 or 60 seconds, somebody commits suicide and that is just, uh, heartbreaking statistic i serve on the crisis text line um and um so many people that feel most of the time they're they're contemplating suicide because they feel shame shame for being who they are and nobody should feel shame for just being themselves because they're a beautiful child of god no matter what so
0: i love that and um I really think that's one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from our heavenly parents is shame. You mentioned four things that have happened to you, sexual abuse, marriage ending, being gay, and anxiety, that there's no sin related to any of those. um, Obviously, but there may be tremendous shame because of those, and you, I think you empower yourself and decrease the shame as you talk about it, because you take those parts of you out of the closet, so to speak, and you own those parts of your story that is really remarkable. And for listeners, and I think Patrick said this at the beginning, if you don't feel you can do what Patrick's doing, that's okay. I don't want, neither of us want you to feel worse that you can't share parts of your story like Patrick is. Don't add to your shame. Just know that everybody's got their own journey and maybe hearing Patrick's story just makes you feel better. Um, Talk about you're 31 and you won't, you know, you're celibate gay Latter-day Saint. What can I say to you to help you on your path? You've got, you know, 50 years ahead of you. If you're going to stay on this road and that can be pretty overwhelming because some days one week can be overhelling over, maybe helling (laughs) (laughs) over, you know, what, what are things that are helpful? If I'm your parent, if I'm your local leader and your friend, to just help you
1: on this road you're trying to walk. Yeah. I think that, again, which has been, you know, the theme of, of this podcast, I guess, is just, um, just love people where they're at. Um, and so I think the most important thing and the thing that I'm looking for the most of, of those people that I I love and respect in my life is just to, you know, Love me where where I'm at, um, and right now I'm I'm where I'm at. Uh, right now I'm you know I'm a celibate, gay Latter Day Saint. Um, if five years from now that changes, not saying it, it would or anything like that, then I would just hope that people would love me where I'm at, um, and that we take this journey together in terms of just loving each other, respecting each other, learning from each other. Um, and trying to each in our own way. Um, I think for the most part, you know, everybody's just wanting to feel loved and everybody's just wanting to be happy. Um, and there's different paths people ch- uh, take um, to achieve those two objectives of feeling loved and feeling happy. Um, but as long as they're truly feeling loved and they're feeling happy, then we should feel happy for them we should we should support them and celebrate with them and walk with them um, and so i think that's just the most important thing is just um being able to surround ourselves um, by people that we know you know will be there no matter what um, and that we can figure out this complicated and messy life together one step at a time like your answer, tell me if if I'm gonna
0: role play with you a little bit. <laughs> is this a helpful thing or a not a helpful thing? If I say Patrick, if you feel at some point down the road you need, you feel your path is to marry a man, I will support you and walk with you on that road. Is that a helpful thing for me to say as a parent or a local leader? Is that not helpful in the sense it opens that door that you're trying not to open? I think that's a very
1: helpful thing. Uh, again for I can't speak for everybody, but I think the whole point of that message and the saying that to somebody is basically, again, just looking at them and saying, I love you, like you. Uh, and that doesn't mean what you're doing or that doesn't fit. I just love you as a person. So wherever you're at, I'm going to love you. Um, and I think that is just such a comforting um, message and also such a freeing message because it allows you to discover yourself and to, to take your own again, path of discipleship rather than trying to conform or please or make somebody proud or whatever the case may be. Nobody should feel like they have to make a decision for somebody else. They should be making a decision for themselves and what makes them happy and feel good about themselves. And I feel like Communicating that to especially youth um, would be tremendous in eliminating, again, that plague of shame um, that is just killing people. And it's just, oh, it just breaks my heart. That's a helpful answer to um,
0: Sometimes um, I pick up um, something that I think would be unhelpful you have to help me understand. Sometimes I say, well, Patrick, this will just stay so, you know, just this will all work out in the next life. Um, You'll be happy then. (laughs) Is that helpful to point to the next life as a way to bring you comfort now? Or does that dismiss the difficulty of your situation now? Or just, and and maybe it's not a binary answer, yes or no, just help our listeners understand that.
1: Yeah. Being completely, I guess you know, same with the last one, and like you said, not completely binary, but um, but I think the the your last message is a lot more helpful and loving than the one of just we'll just bear with it and it will work out in the last time in the next life because, um, and I've I've been the perpetrator of that message more times than than I probably should have it, but it does feel in some ways it can feel dismissive to people saying, oh well. You know, I know it's a struggle, but it's not that bad. Just, just bear with it. Just hunker down, and you know, the next fifty years. You know, and and I've I've approached it because it's true um, in terms of you know this life really is just a flicker in our grander eternity. I mean, you know, we're told that God's time is a thousand days is you know, um, or a thousand years is one day in His time. So what? 80 years is like two and a half hours, I think, in God's time. And so our whole life is like two and a half hours. Um, And so, yes, that's nice to say and and sometimes good, especially when we struggle with things, especially debilitating illnesses or things that people can't, um, you know, there's no cure for. Um, But for at least a a gay or lesbian or transgender Latter-day Saint I think that's a hard message because you see so many people around you that are living happy um, and have family and have someone to love and to spend their life with. And just to say, well, you're not going to have that, but in the next life, it's going to be okay. You're thinking, well, but everybody else got to be happy and enjoy this life. Why, why, why don't I? Um, And so I think that's a really hard message. And then there's
0: a scripture that says men are that they might have joy. And it doesn't really say the next life. I think that infers this life. And so I've recognized that's a tone thing that I have picked up. And I've recognized that that probably is more, when I say that, it's probably to keep me emotionally safe. It makes me feel like I don't have to sort of fully understand the complexity of your situation. If I'm just point to the next life, I feel everything's fine. It'll all work out. But if I really... want to minister to you and and understand your road. I've got to recognize the difficulty of your situation right now and the, and the loneliness of that road. And so that's very helpful. Are there other things you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think just like my message has been, I have just, you know, um, in that kind of time worn question of am I my brother's keeper? I think that all of us should be giving that resounding, you know, answer of yes, you, you are your brother's keeper. And and Christ has shown us the way, um, and love, love is the path. Um, everyone deserves a chance and that includes second chances. Um, you know, and, and and I'm just, I'm begging that, um, that, I hope that each of us can do more to just open our hearts and freely accept those who are different than us. And again, I'm not asking that we abandon our principles or ignore our standards. I'm just simply asking that we make room for those who maybe for whatever reason, can't quite live up to those standards right now. Um, um, You know, it was the master teacher of love himself that said, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. If if that's not a commandment to love those who may be considered an enemy, to our standards or way of thinking and living, then I don't know what is. Um, So, you know, my message really is that, you know, wherever others feel lost, let them find home in our places of worship. Wherever others feel like strangers, let them find friendship in our embrace. Wherever others feel condemned, let them find loving acceptance within our hearts. No matter the problem, love is the solution. Whoever the person, love is the way. Whatever the question, love is the answer. We just need to love.
0: I wish you could give that over the pulpit at General Conference, Patrick. It's a beautiful message. And our listeners are deeply touched. Is there there anything else you'd like to share? No. just a note about um, episode 172, if any of you haven't listened to that, Patrick talks about his sexual abuse. And one of the things he talks about is this endless cycle he was in about what if this had not happened, and would I have an eating disorder, or even what what would my sexual orientation be. And just tell our listeners the words you went from what if to, you know, what, what now? What am I going to do now? That was such a powerful thing, and I, um, I think all of us have what-if things going around in our mind that have affected our life, um, and I love just the, the, I think it's the atonement of Jesus Christ that healed you to be able to get to what now, given this is the reality of my life, and you're doing a great job of that, and I sent this manuscript, this book I'm writing called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ latter Day Saints will be out in September. It'll be on Amazon, um, but I sent a script, a manuscript to a BYU professor just to help me, just to read through it, and he provided just a few comments, but when he got to your section, he said, this testimony is so eloquent and profound. I am in awe, and you deserve to hear things like that because you are healing and giving hope. You know, you have an LDS tools calling. I assume in your ward, your minister, and you may have another calling, but you have this calling that's not going to show up on LDS tools calling. Um, it's part of your Facebook group. It's part of this podcast, but it's part of your life mission to heal and hope and teach us how to love. And I'll just quote with close quote, quote from Thomas Merton, and you you're teaching this. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business. In fact, it's nobody's business. What we are asked to do is love. And this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. And that quote plus what Thomas, uh, sorry, Patrick wrote in that I read is in the book as well as that earlier quote from Henry Nolan. So, Patrick Risk, you are a great man. You need to hear that. And you have a unique life mission. And thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.